You're listening to WNCP Marquette, home of the North Coast Post podcast. North Coast Post. Welcome back to the podcast, episode eight now, and with me is David Ola, the founding director of Invent NMU. Welcome, David. Thanks, BJ. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the whole mystique and mindset of an inventor is something that's a big part of American history. A lot of our great minds were considered themselves inventors many with huge rosters of patents. Do you consider yourself an inventor? Yeah, I mean, so I always have a hard time when someone asks me what what I do. You yeah. know, the easiest response and maybe not the best response is, uh, I, I, I don't know, I do make-believe, right? <laughs> and so I've been able to carve out a living um, of inventing things. Uh, so yes, I would consider myself an inventor, uh, but I have a hard time putting a label on what I do. Sure. Well, in, you think in by 2016 that every little device and marketable thing has already been created. So it's obviously not as prolific of a profession as it may have been in the late 1800s. Are there still lots of things to be invented? Oh, yeah. So uh, so anything that is new that's invented, and, and I could go into this huge, huge diatribe about this now, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between an invention and innovation. And I was actually thinking about this a little bit last night or over the weekend. And, you know, one of the things that the UP, I think, uh, has a unique role in inventions and in innovation and, and is ingenuity. And um, about five years ago, I said to people, I said, you know, watch out, innovation is going to be the buzzword uh, that's going to take over the world. Everything's going to be about innovation. Um, and really, it comes back to this concept of ingenuity, right? And these are solving a problem that you have using what makes us special as being humans, which is coming up with some sort of tool or apparatus for making what we do a little bit easier yeah. or changing the process in which we, we attack some sort of problem. So, yeah, it's building upon something that maybe has been in place for 30 years and can be improved on. Like, there's always been a way to clean paintbrushes, but maybe now there's a better way. You're a great example, right? And it's, 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 um, it's born out of these personal uh, ingenuity-based things. And so, I don't know, we could go, all, we could wax philosophically here, um, <laughs> you know, but the difference between an invention and an innovation is anyone can make an invention. An innovation is when it changed people's lives or it changes the world. And so there are all sorts of dumb inventions, and, and most people make some of their own, right? It doesn't become an innovation when people sort of adopt it and a, a mass group of people uses those tools to change a standard operating procedure or the way that we do stuff. Ingenuity and, and UP ingenuity is, well, how do you do this if you're in a somewhat disconnected area geographically or if I'm out um, in the woods right? Uh, and I don't have access to all of these things. You start looking around and, and sticks become useful and stones become useful. And so, you know, back to the caveman, uh, the first tools were made out of what they've found. And we still practice that in, the, in a very caveman-like way to today, you know. If you can't run to the store and get something, what can you fashion or rig or make to make your job easier? Um, so we still practice that today. And so I don't think we're done inventing things or 
uh, causing innovation to change the way people live. Well, that that makes the UP a perfect place for something like the Invent and Mu to, to take hold. And I've heard uh, Governor Snyder talk about pulling the model into other regions. Is that uh, rural, uh, guttural feel for innovation and uh, resourcefulness, is that the glue that's holding Invent and Mu and give, giving it this, this great prowess right now? Or or is it going to be able to translate into more urban markets? Well, any entrepreneurial endeavor, right, hits its stride when um, you uncover some sort of paradigm shift that changes the way you look at something. And so, you know, you're a person of perspective, right? And so you're going to change your perspective. And that could be just moving 15 feet into a different side of thing uh, to take another look at a problem from a different angle. One of the things that I was looking at for, for many years, and I really started uh, directly down this path of trying, and this sounds backwards, to get away from supporting entrepreneurship and to get into supporting invention or ingenuity because everyone has an idea, especially the end user, the, the person. Uh, a category that we're seeing a lot of is devices coming out of nurses. The, the folks that are on the front line of a process, a job, uh, a, um, uh, a project, or a day-to-day -day activity where it makes sense that they're not doing something right. And so nurses are so incredibly smart. They're coming up with all sorts of ingenious ways of solving their personal problems for tackling their job on a day-to-day -day basis. Hmm. Um, but they're not entrepreneurs. They don't have time to go raise capital. They don't have uh, maybe the uh, operational experience. Marketing you know, Marketing experience. I mean, if you think of all of the things required for entrepreneurship, yeah. we've been concentrating so much on supporting entrepreneurship. We've, we're writing books about it. We've got uh, this concept that you can go to Silicon Valley and you can start Instagram and you can be a billionaire in 10 steps or less. Um, and I thought that if we distilled it to a lower common denominator to allow anyone with an idea to move forward. And so what Invent at NMU has done is it's, it's filled a void that was not apparent. And this is, you know, invention, ingenuity, innovation. Um, I had a hunch that many, many people were running around town uh, or around the country or around the world with solutions to problems but we lost that ability to move the needle on our own. Um, it's, you know, it's a big needle to it's move. It's a big needle to move, right? The Industrial Revolution, you know, let's create steel as a product, as a material that can be used in driving world change. Well, it wasn't. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I want to go to an Ayn Rand quote, but, you know, um, <laughs> go ahead. you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, Taggart Steel, right? I mean, it was this changing of, of providing a base material that created tons of innovation from it. You can think of it digitally. Um, the, the mass adoption of desktop computing has created a, you know, here we are. You've got a, a laptop in front of us. It's doing the recording of this. You no longer need Larry King's studio right. to capture high quality <laughs> content like this, right? Yeah. Um, and so 
you know, leveraging off of that, though, is what we need to retrain people to be able to do, how to move the needle on, on your own. We have now had 160 ideas come through the door at Invent at NMU. That's in about 17 months. We're still getting one new idea every three days, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and they're coming in from all over the state now. How many of these 160 ideas have become a marketable product since your inception? Yeah, very few. Uh, you know, and I have these conversations with my daughter, and, and this is the cultural shift. Um, I have multiple ideas every single day. Most of them suck. I got, I got to be honest with That's you. That's that mindset of an inventor, though. It's a brainstorm. Right? Yeah, right. You know, I, and, I, and I'll screw this quote up, but I think Edison said, you know, and uh, Edison said, you know, I, I figured out 80,000 ways of not how to make a light bulb, yeah, right? right. Um, yeah. And that's really what we're, we're doing. I didn't fail. I just found another way. Not to do it. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, something like that. And, that. and that's the mindset. And I have these conversations with my young daughters. Um, you know, they have ideas all the time. Look at it. It's, it's 500 ideas before you get one that's good. So to answer your question, um, we have had about 5%, about three or four products that have gone soup to nuts that, um, you know, make sense to bring to the marketplace. Many, many don't, and many don't for a number of reasons. Product um, doesn't, and the number one is there's no market for it. Um, yes, you may have created this thing uh, I don't know, to chop an onion a better way. Uh, but there are 15 other things in the market that chop an onion the way they're supposed to do. And the chefs, you know, are never going to get rid of that big chef knife um, unless it's like a new laser cutting knife, you know, <laughs> and where you don't have to actually touch the tool or something yeah. like that, right? So um, there are a lot of different reasons for not moving a product forward. But it's guaranteed you won't move it forward if you don't bring the idea out into the light. Sure. Um, so that's our number one goal is... 160 ideas yeah, in the light. Pursue an idea. They're in the light. Take a look at it. Look at it from all of these different perspectives, from personality perspectives. Can you move this through? Can you commit to it? Uh, did you realize it was hard work? Mm -hmm. um, did you know you're going to have to put money into it? Did you know that overnight success takes 15 years? I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to move a product forward. My number one goal is to show people that no matter how silly you think that idea is, you can run it through a system or a process to find out if it's worth pursuing or not. Um, you certainly don't know unless you try. You have no idea. So, you know, you try to kill that product idea. If you don't kill it, it's strong and perhaps uh -huh. there's a market for it. And the ones uh, that 5% you do speak of, Invent and Amuse services, have they been mostly product development or marketing or packaging or all, what, all of the above. Yeah. Which right. one was, would you say the most prominent among those? Well, five? the most prominent is these raw ideas, these concepts walking in. Um, so we're seeing three types of products come in the door, a concept, and that's where someone's still describing it with their hands. You know, it's this thing It would do this and this and the other thing. And, and, um, and it's nothing more than a concept. That's probably the majority of products that we have come through. Okay. Um, because people aren't even used to how do I fabricate what we call a hobo type out of cardboard and duct yeah. tape to get the shape. And those types are probably least protective of their idea, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a concept. They're just floating it out just there. Throw it out. You know, what'll happen with yeah. it, right? And, um, you know, and, and 
you know, people don't want to be criticized or scrutinized on their ideas. You know, we're, we're, we're delicate beings, right? Uh, so we try to we try to do it in a way that doesn't totally crush people. Yeah. Concepts are the one. The second one are inventions. And these are the ones I get most excited about because it's someone that's plopping something down on the desk. Or in some cases, it's like, come on out to the parking lot. I'll show you what I have. These are things that have been, you know, manifested into a physical thing and they put it down on the table and they say here's how it works and they push the button or they turn a lever or they twist something um, and it is the product and it's an invention Uh, then then the next one so we have products we have inventions then we have just design changes Um, wouldn't it be neat if this cup did this or the other thing um, and you know, those ones, on other people's it's proof, designs. Yeah, exactly. It's something else, but you know, wouldn't it be nice if it did this? Um, the ones I get most excited about there are the inventions. The concepts still have a lot of merit because this is what the cultural shift. We want everyone to bring a concept forward. Everyone out there, I, I can almost promise you, everyone listening, everyone out there has said, um, "I thought of that five years ago." Oh yeah, right. And, and our, you know, culturally, it's been, yeah, I thought about that five years ago, and I had no way of moving that forward. I think the Oz, the man behind the curtain, this concept that products come out of these mysterious corporations and find their way onto the shelf, that curtain has been lifted, I think, in the last few years. Great. And the it's idea, it's, it, yeah, everybody now has the ability to take a concept or a product or a service or a business and move it forward in digestible chunks that don't break the bank. And I mean that financially and from a life, full life spectrum. Don't risk your mortgage. Don't risk your relationship. Don't, don't empty out your pockets. Right. There are ways of incrementally moving a product forward in a fairly safe manner and then find out if there's an opportunity from that. And it's not mysterious anymore. Is there are certain states more conducive to that financially tax whatever it be may be that is Michigan poised in any particular way to be a good place for people to do that? This uh, this is hard to come off without being biased and, and okay. you as well right? Yeah. You've lived in a bunch of places in the country. Sure. And you chose to come to Marquette. Yeah. Um, unique spot right? Very. Um, and then Michigan right? We're attached to Michigan. Um, I believe that the climate is almost ripest in Michigan compared to, say, the coastal areas. Um, Silicon Valley is the one that gets, you know, called out all the time. California gets called out all the time as being, you know, the place to go if you want to do a startup or you want to get into uh, high tech, um, you know, uh, business development or startups. Right. Um, and that's all well and good, but we know how expensive it is to live in California. Uh, you know, you just talk about tax. You know, there's a 12% oh personal income tax yeah. in California. Right. You know, I think just, I took home about half of what I made there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, here's what Michigan has that I believe is an advantage. One is that the climate is ripe to empower the people. And uh, I believe the state is is fully behind this concept that if we give individuals the right tools to move the needle um, collectively or as an aggregate of the population, uh, that is something that improves uh, everyone's lot across the state. But here are some of the things that are interesting about Michigan is that 
Um, we have, uh, and, and you know, you can Google this to find out if I'm lying or not, <laughs> but um, I think the largest number of engineers and the largest number of industrial designers out of any state, wow. um, we have an infrastructure uh, that is set up for manufacturing, for workflow process, uh, for, you know, we see it every day now, the ships are moving, right? We see the raw materials moving from our county uh, across the lake, uh, down, uh, you know, through uh, the Great Lakes trade systems and into the processors that make it into steel and eventually turn those into, you know, automobiles, right? Yeah. I mean, that is the value yeah. chain. Michigan I stopped owns- my car at a railroad crossing. Well, iron ore shot in front of me. Right, right. Um, It's like real world Minecraft, (laughs) right? I mean, you get to see, you know, so you take this Minecraft experience and it's like, oh, you want a sword? Well, first you're going to have to start with wood. Yeah. What do you mean I'm going to start with wood, right? (laughs) Well, you're going to have to build, you know, a kiln to be able to fire the raw materials. But that history and infrastructure, but also the culture and, and mentality of the people of Michigan seems to be conducive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at some of these little old settlements around the UP, um, you know, ingenuity uh, was not a luxury. It was a necessity. Um, you know, I, I think there's something called the Michigan Cooler. Have you ever heard of the Michigan Cooler? No, what's that? I think a lot of camps have these. Uh, basically, it's a hole underneath your camp, you know, that becomes your cooler. Uh, that in the summer, it keeps your, you know, your beer and soda and your... Um, uh, your just perishables, down yeah, you just dig a hole. It's called a Michigan cooler, you <laughs> nice. know. So I, I know a friend's camp. I won't disclose it. But I know that there's a trap door in the floor, and there's a four-foot hole underneath the camp that is his Michigan cooler. It keeps things cool in the summer and keeps them from freezing in the winter. Wow. Um, you know, that's that's raw necessity and ingenuity tied into, you know, one thing that changes the way your, your camp experience is. Yeah. Now, um, you have being very very inventor mindseted yourself and such experience with it. Are you when you talk about the concept phase coming in, how long does it take for you to know if it's if it's pursuing worth pursuing or not? Is it a couple words out of their mouth and like, whoa yeah or is it is it an instant instinct like when, when somebody comes in with a with a winner? Um, you know, I, I'll answer this from my first perspective, right? Because I'm probably my own uh, harshest critic. So on my ideas, which come on a daily basis, I have a few that are just sitting, you know, ah, geez, I need to get that material and I could create a prototype and I could find out if this idea would work or not. Um, I actually stop. I don't always write my ideas down anymore because I have so many of them and I allow the ones that continue to cycle and percolate. You probably do this from a content perspective, sure. right? Um if it comes back four or five times into my head, then I tell myself to start taking notice. Yeah. If you forget it, it's forgettable. It's exactly right. You know, so I don't write them all down. I used to like write every stupid idea down, yeah. you know, and I have notepads going back to the <laughs> early 90s where it's like, you know, seriously, you wasted the ink on that thing. <laughs> um, but as they come back, so instinctively on my own products, I have a pretty good idea. Um, but I think it's important for people to realize that products on their own merit are not necessarily successful no matter how important you think they are or how great of a tool you think they are. Um, it's, it's, is the market ready to accept it? Or is the pricing in line? Can you manufacture it for a cost? So I now look at products, not just a, hey, that's cool. 
I look at it as how would I be able to make that? Could I make it for five times less than I could I sell it? Does anyone care yeah, if, I made this, right. if I made this thing? Sure. Um, you know, all of those types of things. Some of the coolest out. products may, may just end up on the edit room floor while some simple, not so sexy products, bam. Yeah. So, you know, so it's marketing and it's, um, it's how people market these things. It's, um, you know, we, um, I don't want to go negative here, but we, we're played, you know, the mass As consumers consumption, yeah. mass production is playing us down to our our very um, psychological core. I mean, we are tricked on a daily basis yeah. to needing things, to right. buying brands. I think some of those things shift and they ebb and and they ebb and flow. Um, but you know, everything that's put in front of us as something for sale rarely is on the merit of the product and and improving the life experience. Right? There is some twist or some way they're creating uh, a Maslow level hierarchy, <laughs> shift of hierarchy of needs to right. con us into buying something. I mean, as glued to our technology as we are now, it's becoming even deeper. Seated. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So how does Google know that I want that? Right. right? Yeah. You know? oh my God. Because yeah, you're out. broadcasting. Right. It, you know? <laughs> you're telling everybody. Yeah. Right. Um, we always, so, or I have... My perspective at NMU has always been a product development center, but it sounds like marketing is as big of a part of the scene over there at the old bank building as any. Yeah, absolutely. So we do it all. So we have a five-step process. It's validation, ideation, commercialization, production, and operations. We have clients that could be at any one of those stages. I would say, and I don't have the data to support this in front of me, but Probably the second to a new product idea, whether it's in one of those three categories, um, a concept, invention, or a design change, the next thing that we have is I have invented this thing. I may or may not have a patent even for it. I have a garage full of these things, and I'm not selling them. What do I do? Okay. Right? And that's probably the next bucket that we get in is, um, and again, people that are inventive, or have uh, a large amount of ingenuity who aren't afraid to take it one step forward. You know, what if inventors uh, were more like artists, right? And so you might have a painting skill, and we'll, we'll, we'll equate that to an imagination. Um, you know, a painter just, you know, when they feel it, they put the canvas down and they grab their paint and they start working a project, or you might be doing a video or a short story. Um, you know, or a documentary uh, without really knowing what the outcome or if this would be something that you think is uh, has some level of consumption, right. right? That someone actually wants to consume the art. Um, the inventors, there's a large number out there that are willing to actually, without any known outcome, start pursuing the concept and start, you know, putting things together and, and grabbing physical products and, and assembly mm -hmm. uh, in, into some sort of prototype, right? I don't think that's practiced enough. I think we're sh shifting into that. But um, so the, the people that come in, I've got a garage full of these things, but I don't know how to market, are the ones that, you know, that's the artist, right? I have a room full of paintings. Well, good Lord, yeah. why haven't you shared these with the world? They're not good enough. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, or I don't know. Uh, will anyone buy them? Or I don't know how to communicate that. Um, so you take that product that you have in the garage and you figure out how do I get to this into this market? 
And it's, it's student experience, so this marketing expertise is coming from uh, your experience and plus the student volunteers that are a part of the the, uh, the picture? Yeah, the so they're not volunteers, so they're student employees. Oh, they're, oh great. Yeah, so we better. pay them. Um, it's not an internship. It's not for credit. I have a professional staff of students in uh, across disciplines from uh, entrepreneur students out of the business school, human-centered designers out of the art school, uh, mechanical engineer technologists out of the uh, engineering uh, and the trades over at Jacob Eddy. Um, they have the table stakes to execute in the production uh, or the the um, the mean of their disciplines, right? And um, I'm probably learning more from them than <laughs> yeah, than with the support of their faculty. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the you know, so they get this incredible baseline from their faculty from the traditional academic sense. Yeah. The only thing that we're doing slightly different is we're saying start using it now yeah. instead instead of after you graduate. Um, the biggest thing that the students learn are the soft skills, how to look someone in the eye, how to ask someone to pay you for the services that you've done, how to make an estimate of the work that you're going to be doing, how to disappoint someone and still have them like you at the end of the day. <laughs> um, those are all real experiences. And I, I you know, fully believe that um, you have to create that sandbox for those students to get into. Now, the outcome of that is they are looking at things from a perspective, um, one in their trade, so they've got these baseline table stakes on how to how do I machine something, yeah. you know, and they do that with a level of confidence that an older generation that couldn't make things right. We've lost the ability of making things right. So as good as the industrial revolution was for the advancement of humanity and society, it actually created a huge void in individuals again participating in value creation. Because, and, and again, I, don't, I won't get this quote right, but um, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of automobile manufacturers at the turn of the century. The assembly line and the concept of affordable vehicles, right, from Henry Ford crushed all of the other competitors, right? And so then you have three that end up being, this is where you get your products from. You lose all of that other perspective, all of the individual perspective on what a vehicle should be. Yeah, who knows where or, it would have gone. Exactly. What are the tangents if you would have had that many more? So uh, now we're getting back, though. These students that are graduating now from a human-centered or industrial design or from a mechanical engineering or from an entrepreneurial program, don't let what they don't know stop them from moving forward. Right. We have a whole generation ahead of us, which is, well, those they're going to make cars. I'm not qualified to be able to do that. And now you have Elon Musk. You know, it's taken this long to get to Elon Musk. We're supposed to be flying cars right now, <laughs> not just having them be electric cars. Right. Right. So I see a huge shift. The aggregation of many, many people. Um, it's going to be an open source uh, innovation frenzy, I think, around the corner. Wow. It's exciting times. Um, one thing I noticed around the same time as uh, Kristen and I's coming here was the advent of this smart zone ex expanding into the Marquette area. And now I, I see a, a little trend of piggybacking, so to speak, with smart this, smart that. Um, 
is that is that culture being um is it is it being diluted by the oversmarting of of Marquette? Yeah, great great question. Um, so to go back to the smart zone and Ray Johnson coming um, coming in, fantastic lesson here. Um, and if there's ever been a symbiotic relationship, uh, you could look at how this works with Invent at NMU and with the smart zone. Um, Ray has come from out of the area. He's the CEO of the Smart Zone. Um, he has exponentially increased my ability to move the needle from an Invent at NMU standpoint. That's great. Um, in return, Invent at NMU has jump started the Smart Zone work that Ray has um, been launching over the last, I think, eight months that he's been in town, eight or nine months. Um, that is the entrepreneurial lesson. I mean, if there was ever an entrepreneurial lesson, what I was doing, I think, was unique and it was warranted and there was a void that it was filling. With Ray coming in and getting the support of the Smart Zone board and with his experience, um, the combination of these two programs has increased in a way that individually we would not be able to increase. So Ray and I are talking on a daily basis, if almost seven days a week in constant communication, um, hand in hand working with Invent at NMU clients and Smart Zone clients, elevating the ones that we can, connecting to legal resources, fundraising. What's well, a connection um, that really makes sense? It's a it's a good marriage. Yeah, marriage. Yeah, absolutely. What about the other entities that are maybe trying to grasp to cling to some of the the energy that's that's creating? Can it can it get diluted? I don't know if I can see the outcome on this. Some of it is, um, some of it changes. I think what what I here's what I worry about. Right. So there's an opportunity for delusion. There's an opportunity of not spending your limited resources in, in the absolute right place. I personally have an opinion that sometimes we give entrepreneurs red herrings to chase or perhaps spending time and energy on the wrong things. I've never been a big fan of competitions, business plan competitions, um, beauty pageants, if you will, uh, and even fundraising. Uh, sometimes is a distraction. I think sometimes spending your time fundraising it gives you a reason not to do what you're supposed to well, be doing. Look at Congress, which is to yes, right, <laughs> which is to get something sold and to build a, a, a story. Yeah. Um, so number one, the story is the most important thing any entrepreneur is selling. I don't care what your product or your service or your app or your software is. If you cannot put it together in a story, and you're a storyteller, so I'm hoping that you're going to nod up and down here. But if you can't tell your story, it doesn't matter how fantastic your product or the opportunity is. No one's going to listen. And people invest in people and stories, not products. Um, I, and I've fallen into this trap. Uh, there was a time where um, Governor Granholm um, grabbed my arm and said, oh, we really want you to go after this funding you know, you're really going to be able to make a change in Michigan and um, and go after this funding and that'll help you grow your business in Michigan. So I'm like, oh, cool. The governor, you know, passed, has said, you know, go after this funding. Spent $100,000 chasing $500,000 and we didn't get it. 
And I'm like, geez, with an endorsement like that, not to you mention know, the sweat equity yeah, and oh, the no. energy. So it's hours and hours and it's preparing and, and contests are the same thing. And, and so to me, I get concerned when an entrepreneur changes the business model from getting their product done and out the door and selling it to a customer. Look at capitalism is a contest. You are competing for money. You're competing for people's resources. You're competing for shelf space. Why do we need to sideline the main goal by pursuing a contest? And so now I'm not delivering what I'm supposed to be delivering on. It's a distraction. It's It's a distraction. Also, and this goes to the invent model, is the contest to get into a big name incubator out in California or the contest to do a business plan competition, right, is this distraction. And if I would have been pursuing the number one focus of getting my product out with my limited resources, I would know in the contest of the market whether or not someone wanted to buy my product or or not, right? right? So I think it could be a misleading path. Yes, I think there's a chance that too many smart things starts to dilute. Here's where I could go back and forth arguing with myself. Is the proliferation of all of these types of contests or, or shoulder support systems for entrepreneur, if that starts the conversation and if it in, encourages one or two people to activate themselves and start participating, the net goal is probably a benefit. On the other hand, um, if it starts focusing everyone in on pursuing a contest versus the task at hand, then I worry about it. My guess is it's probably a wash. And my advice is stay focused on what you think is the most important thing to stay focused on. Um, And there's always going to be noise some of it will have a benefit. Some of it will have a negafit. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if there's a net win or if it increases the conversation or it makes relevance. Now, if those things start to make it seem like collectively the UP or Marquette doesn't really understand the game, I think the smart zone and invent at NMU is really setting the bar that we can influence the state. We have the players here that are necessary. We don't have to go to Ann Arbor. That is not where all of the brain power is. It's dispersed across the state on a ratio that can help each individual community move forward. Um, I don't want the message to get sent across the state that perhaps we don't know what we're doing. Look at my, my negative way of saying this is a lot of times we're treated like the back 40 of Michigan. If we can grant, grab a foothold of um, recognition and the idea that we actually can participate in raising the tide across the state, let's not trip on ourselves yeah. through a bunch of noise. Right. And I got to say I welcome the help. I mean, you coined the term no wrong door here locally to have these resources as, as spread out in as many as they are that, hey, it's better than not having enough. Right. Right, right. I think it's important. And, and you know, you, you have played at, in the A-League, right? You've been, um, you know, Larry King. I, I don't know how many people know your background here, right? You're the, you're the guy on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> but um, uh, one of the most interesting sectors I ever worked in is when I was doing the cameras, my, my point of view helmet cameras, 
I actually went to Boone Murray in California, the, okay. the concept creator of the reality television show. Oh, okay. I did a cold call and I said, you're using the wrong point of view cameras in your productions. There's newer, smaller, easier ways of doing it. And they said, prove it. And they flew me out to Acapulco. And uh, I brought with them all of the Viosport cameras. I took all of the Sony high-end production stuff that they get from the rental companies. And we put them to the side, side, side. And I spent one week working with the techs. And we changed the way that point of view video was shot in reality shows thereafter. Wow. There was 125 people working on that crew in Acapulco. And there was 10 cast members. It took me three days to find out who was in charge. You know this <laughs> industry, right? Oh, yeah. If you're not at the top of your game, you are not in the industry. If you're a, a assistant sound person for more Let than four shows, you. yeah. you're done. Yeah. If you're an assistant cameraman for more than four shows, it's are you ever going to be a cameraman? You're, you're right. never going to be. You know, Are you ever going to be the DP? I've seen people soar through the ranks because of their tenacity. Right. And some people stagnate at the same position for 30 years. And they're done. Really? Right. And there's there was two lists that I found after doing subsequent shows. Call back, do not call back. <laughs> right. And and so I had never seen a team of 125 people where everyone was able to perform at the very top level. You're either working or you're not. There is no uh, tenure. Right. You know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. There is no job security. And the guys that are busy are really right. busy. So the tech guys that I know in LA, they don't even rent apartments because they spend They're on the road. nine or 10 months out of the year. They're on the road traveling to, you know, from one to another. If you think you're in LA and you're in the production and broadcast industry and you buy a house, Right. I would say that you just admitted to failure. <laughs> right. Because because you're never going to be home. So why would you spend the resources on that? Right. Um, so what I'm getting at is that qualification, that callback list. Right. You don't get two chances to be on there. So if you want to play at the A game, if we want to influence how Michigan does economic development, product development, startup strategy, you better have your shit together because yeah. you don't get a call back. Yeah, this is your time in the limelight. I mean, the spotlight's shining up here. I've seen it. So it's like go, go right. time. And it has to be at that heightened awareness yeah. of participating at the A level if right. you're going to be successful. And, the, and so that's what I worry about. The thing that this is such a fast-moving economy, uh, here, here are things like the 10-year plan and 15-year plan. That seems like an eternity in in the tech world is that is that because we're coming from so far behind or is that how long it takes to convert an economy even in this modern fast-paced time yeah so i mentioned this earlier you know overnight success takes 15 years okay right? still the case and i think that's still very much the much the case um how, but that's how do you get how do you know that's kind of the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours am i an expert at at something right um those are your your skills. Those are your table stakes. Those are your talent. You know what is what I drive to these young people as? How is a mechanical engineer going to stand apart from other mechanical engineers? It's a value proposition, and it's the same value concept that you would do if you were doing a startup or a product. Is what is the value to other people, and what is your unique value proposition? So what is going to set you aside from everyone else that has the same table stakes? Because the stakes are all rising. Yeah. So what are you going to do that's a stand, you know, how do you stand apart? And some of these students in my program, right, you can tell. 
And it's the people, it's the kids, it's the young people that are going to go and take it. They're going to leverage their skill set and they're going to take. They're not waiting to be asked. Um, they're going to take what is available to them. They're going to add to that and they're going to move it to the next level. And we have several students who are who are able to do that. I don't know if that's <laughs> nature or nurture or how you get people uh, people to be able to do that. Um, but it's it's theirs for the taking. No one's offering anything anymore. I mean, you know, we talk about entitlement and you think the millennials and their sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I have millennials who are working for me and it couldn't be further from the case. They're not going to apologize of owning their world. Good. That's, a, that's very optimistic. And you get a first front row seat to that. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I you know, and I fully expect that um, that they're going to come back and I'm going to ask them for a favor. I mean, that is my, that is the, you know, this is the entrepreneurial aspect yeah. of it is, you know, oh they God, have access is. to my network and I'm calling people and introducing them. I guarantee you every student that goes through my program, I will have a favor to ask at some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. And they'll never forget you or the experience. One would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, um, in the interest of innovation and the tradition of I went 20 minutes over today but you know what it's a podcast <laughs> there's no nobody telling me to wrap um, so for all you entrepreneurs out there stay the course stay focused on your business plan and, and get to that enterprise and to market and refine your story know your story inside and out I think are two really big lessons that came out of this chat among many others David thank you for joining us BJ thank you a nice wrap up I couldn't have said that better myself alright North Coast Post.